This version of the Room Now podcast is dedicated to highlights from ULAR 2022. Herein, you will hear reports and perspectives from the Room Now faculty and key opinion leaders in rheumatology. Enjoy. Hello from ULAR 2022, day one. Uh, my name is Eric Dine. I'm coming from uh, New Jersey in the U.S., virtually tuning into Copenhagen uh, with Room Now uh, and had a wonderful first day so far at the conference. Um, one of the sessions that had the most uh, attention and conversation was the ULAR updated recommendations for various rheumatic diseases. I'm going to talk about the updates for Inca vasculitis. This was last updated in 2016. And as we all know, there's been a number of different trials and studies that have updated and changed our management and our medications for Inca vasculitis. So of course, there's been trials such as the PEXIVAS and the ADVOCATE trial, which have been um, incorporated into these new data. Uh, we feel that um, rituximab is shown to be in the ULA recommendations as the preferred treatment for most patients for remission and maintenance. Uh, and this includes even in non-organ threatening disease, there's an earlier preference now for rituximab over some of the other conventional um, DMARDs, which uh, still had more of a steroid uh, burden in those patients. Um, there's a lower steroid recommendation for patients with Inca vasculitis. Uh, this is a reflection of the PEXIVAS trial with a recommendation to start on 50 to 75 milligrams with a decrease uh, to five milligrams by four to five months. Um, they note that you can use Avacapan to decrease steroids. They do not specifically recommend how to use that or what, what type of steroid decrease can be used as a result. Uh, so that's something that I think we'll have to flesh out with some more um, information as we get more trials with Avacapan. They also recommend coming from the PEXIVAS trial, no routine use of Plex for alveolar hemorrhage. They do allow that you can consider the use of Plex for um, active glomerulonephritis with severe renal dysfunction. So there is possibly somewhat of a role for you to con um, consider, but not for routine usage. One thing that's new with the Inca vasculitis recommendations this year is it does also include um, some new recommendations for eGPA that hasn't previously been part of it. Uh, so they recommend cytoxin for organ or life-threatening disease. Um, they state that uh, high glucocorticoids, high glucocorticoids with rituximab can be considered, but the evidence still favors cyclophosphamide as first lane for eGPA. Rituximab, I'm sorry, um, without, um, with patients that have no organ or life-threatening disease, glucocorticoids alone is appropriate treatment. And if they have um, relapsing or refractory disease without um, organ or life-threatening disease, mepolizumab has the role there. For maintenance of life-threatening disease or organ-threatening disease, really across the board, methotrexate, azathioprine, uh, mepolizumab, rituximab are all options and they don't have any preference in them in the recommendations at this point. Um, the other piece of information that was revised in, in these recommendations was a grade B recommendation based on level 3B evidence for recommended use of Bactrim for pneumocystis prophylaxis on patients on rituximab, cyclophosphamide, and or glucocorticoid high-dose therapy. Uh, so this was interesting. Um, it's very split as to whether or not you need to use um, pneumocystis prophylaxis in patients on rituximab um, who are not on high-dose steroids. I, I, I asked it on um, a Twitter poll, and it currently is at 51% say no, and it's been kind of 
bouncing back and forth between the 50% mark um, all afternoon. So uh, there's definitely um, some questions here as to what the role is for pneumocystis prophylaxis, but ULAR is recommending for it. Uh, and this also shows kind of a, a evolution of the guidelines from the prior uh, guidelines in 2016. And, and it shows some of the, the gaps that we will have to answer in the future um, with regards to which are the patients to use uh, Avacapan and how we can use steroid uh, sparing therapies and, and decrease steroid um, in, in these patients, as well as um, what the role is for mepolizumab and some of the other treatment options for eGPA. Uh, so lots of information here. Uh, I think lots more to come in vasculitis as we've seen quite an evolution over the past six years since the last guidelines. Um, we'll be checking in throughout uh, ULAR conference, so tune into room now for lots more coverage. Hi, I'm David Liu from uh, Melbourne, Australia, and I am here in Copenhagen, in person in Copenhagen at ULI 2022. What a feeling it is, although it was raining all today, the lines were long, that's all been worthwhile to get back in the saddle in person and see what's going on. And actually today, one thing I really want to tell you about is a little bit about polymyodramatic of basic science. Now, that might not be the first thing that comes to mind as to the kind of things that you're jumping at the bit of, but I think it really speaks to how our understanding of PMR as an entity has evolved over um, recent years. And I think there was a previously a time, without wanting to be too coarse about it, where PMR was thought as a bit of a abstract entity, generalised inflammation, people felt a bit sore and stiff, and perhaps it wasn't always quite as well characterised. And maybe that's because there's, it's not like there's sign dividers that you can put your hands on, or maybe there's that little bit of sign dividers at the beginning that even that disappears uh, quickly with treatment. You don't really get those kind of physical manifestations that you can physically uh, palpate. And so uh, perhaps PMR suffered as a consequence of that. But over time, we've got a better sense as to how things have gone, partially from imaging studies, you know, we have also known about the cytokine profiles going back even to 1990 with Husker de Scupta's work, um, understanding the role of IL-6, but that was still all part of a generalised inflammation process. What we saw at this meeting actually is something very cool from the uh, Groningen vasculitis group uh, led by Elizabeth Brower there, um, and really looking at some uh, really quite interesting work surrounding PMR. So we know that uh, patients with polymerase radica have bursitis, especially in subacromial bursitis, that may not be the primary causing pathology, uh, probably isn't in fact, but certainly there's a lot of action going on there. So what they did was take a little bit of that out, a little bit of the fluid from that subacromial um, fluid around there, also from the Tina Sinovitis around there, under ultrasound guidance, not a very easy thing to do, but had a look at that. They were interested, particularly about IL-6, um, but also about things related to macrophages, uh, which they've speculated may well be involved. And what we're really seeing here, quite excitingly, is a much firmer signature as to what PMR looks like immunologically. And what we can see is that there's a role for intermediate monocytes, there's a role for IL at IL-6 and GMCSF coming off that. And really, we're starting to get an idea that there might be targets. Now, of course, we've got agents that target IL-6. We've got agents that target uh, GM-CSF. And we're, we're either using them or testing them in giant cellulitis, obviously closely related to PMR. So we're starting to see the story evolve 
I suspect we'll look back on this and say, well, remember what happened at your life 2022 that David Liu told us about, about how PMR, we were getting a better sense of what the underlying immunological process is. Plenty to go with this story, but I think this is an important moment. For more on everything rheumatology in person and virtually, head on down to roomnow.com. Hi, I'm David Liu from Melbourne, Australia, reporting for Room Now here from Yulai 2022, live as you can see here from the Bella Centre, end of the day, day two, uh, Thursday. It's been a great day. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about some of the stuff that came out in the morning session uh, from a session called Vessels Glowing in the Dark. Uh, you know, great title. Kudos to Yulai for putting that together. And in fact, I really want to speak to you about an abstract that addressed vessels specifically glowing in the dark. And that is a study which looked, in fact, at patients with polymyodramatica and looked um, using ultrasound to see whether they, they had subclinical GCA. Now, we know that PMR, GCA related. We know that some patients with PMR end up going on to develop GCA. What we don't know is um, whether there's imaging evidence of GCA in the background in patients with new PMR. So what this study was, was actually a European collaborative that's actually been founded out of the PMR GCA study group. Really interesting he hearing it being talked about how this formed together across a number of different European centers. I looked at new patients uh, who met PMR um, classification criteria um, and actually saw whether um, before they had steroids, whether when they examined uh, extracranial uh, vessels as well as cranial vessels, uh, whether they would in fact have um, active uh, features of giant salaritis uh, on ultrasound. So interesting. First of all, of those PMR patients, 20% had active vessels. Really, um, I think it's hard to know what that means. So what are these vessels um, doing? Is this, is this going to behave the same way as giant salaritis? Is this a pre-giant salaritis uh, um, phase before which develops in? Or is this always background uptake, knowing the limitations in and of itself of giant salaritis, of, of ultrasound um, and the possibility of a false positive, however um, tightly controlled the ultrasound protocol might be? Interestingly as well, I should say that while most of it was extracranial um, and certainly 75% of people had extracranial um, uptake, still uh, one quarter had exclusively cranial uptake. And there was a bunch more on top of that, I think another 10% more on top of that, who had both cranial and extracranial. So this certainly isn't just a disease of extracranial uptake uh, that can be necessarily, uh, that might necessarily meet that kind of classical phenotype of PMR-related GCA. But I think this really starts to talk to a question, which has come up a few times here today at Yula, which is where, what is this spectrum of GCA, PMR? Uh, where does the line sit? And when there's subclinical disease of GCA on imaging in PMR, is that going to evolve into something? Is that not? What do we do in terms of treating that? And I think what's really going to limit this, uh, the study of this is the fact that um, if this is added on to PMR studies, then really there's an obligation. Is there an obligation to say, well, these patients have GCA, now they can't go into a PMR study. Do we have to try and treat them with GCA level steroids or not? We really want to see the histopath. And I think that's what we want to we want to try and follow up to see what this means. There's a lot of questions about that, but opens which have been opened up from this study today. For plenty more about uh, all things from Yulai 2022, head on down to roomnow.com.
Hi, I'm Dr. Janet Pope. I'm a reporter at Room Now, and I'm coming to you live, actually, from ULAR 2022 in Copenhagen, which today is kind of sunny. I want to talk about PMR, and I want to talk about three things. First thing is oral presentation 0185. It was tocilizumab and GCA. We already know that there's a positive study, but this is a really interesting, non-randomized, non-controlled study. Two months of prednisone only. So they get tocilizumab, two months of prednisone. And and they found that doing this in tocilizumab, half the relapsing disease, half were new onset. It was only 30 patients, but it was very effective. Am I going to go home and start using only two months of prednisone in my patients with tocilizumab um, and, and PMR, or sorry, and GCA? Probably not, but I think it's really interesting, but needs an RCT. Next thing is PMR, RCT, of serolimumab, so an IL-6 inhibitor. It was a late breaker presented today, 0006, 118 patients. What did they find? Nearly double the sustained remission in these patients. Again, PMR to GCA is certainly a spectrum. We've seen that at this meeting and others. I think more will come on this interesting um, study. Last thing. What about rituximab and PMR? Hmm, you might be thinking, I don't know that I'd be going that way. This is an RCT, and it's an extension of the RCT. Poster 0269. One gram of rituximab once, and you follow for a year, and you have the steroid taper regimen. They found that they needed less steroids. The differentiation between rituximab and the group that got placebo rituximab was really at 21 weeks. And the differentiation was sustained for one year. So in whom would I use rituximab for PMR? Really hard to say these days in COVID where rituximab um, attenuates vaccination response and there's worse outcomes with COVID. However, what if I had a patient with an RA overlap in PMR? We see that sometimes. Maybe I'd think of this drug and be able to steroid spare them. So follow me at Janet Burdope and I hope you enjoy the rest of the reports. Thanks. Hello everyone, my name is uh, Yusuf. Uh, I am from Leeds. Uh, I am reporting uh, for Room Now from uh, Copenhagen uh, for EULA 2022. Uh, today is the final day of uh, EULA, so it does feel a bit sad, uh, but also um, we have learned so much from the conference. Um, and today I uh, would just like to um, discuss about one abstract uh, that was presented uh, in the late breaking abstract. So the late breaking abstract is always you know very um, famous uh, session where a lot of people attend it uh, it's always a very quick firing one so the one that I'm, I'm uh, interested uh, in um, is um, from uh, late breaking abstract 0006 um, so this is a, a phase three uh, randomized controlled trials uh, of uh, sarilumab uh, plus um, uh, 14, 14, uh, 14 weeks a uh, taper of steroid uh, versus uh, placebo uh, and slow tapering of steroid over 52 weeks. So as we know, uh, we need a new therapy uh, uh, to treat um, relapsing polymalgia rheumatica uh, because of uh, the higher steroid burden and toxicity, which also can increase morbidities. So the initial uh, plan for um, the, the trial sample size is over 200 patients. But unfortunately, um, halfway through the recruitment, uh, they've been severely impacted by COVID. So initially, um, so they only managed to recruit 110 over uh, 200 um, uh, from what they intended. So it's under uh, 50% of recruitment. Uh, and also like during the study as well, uh, quite a few people discontinued due to um, 
uh, inefficacy or due to uh, some adverse events. But majority of the uh, treatment discontinuation was actually on the competitor uh, arm, which is the steroid. Um, so uh, from what they've got, so that they, they can make use of, um, so uh, the, they've met the primary endpoint. So I think that's, uh, that's good. Um, so the primary endpoint uh, is a composite of uh, a few things, because as we know, uh, the IL-6 inhibitors, cerilumab, will definitely make your CRP normal. So we can't just rely on CRP only. Um, so we do, uh, so they have composite measures of uh, uh, proportional patient of uh, having a disease flare, uh, CRP normalization, and also uh, adherence to the um, steroid taper protocol. Yeah, um, so that's their uh, criteria. So uh, at 52 weeks, there are 28% uh, of a patient on the sarilumab and uh, shorter uh, steroid uh, uh, withdrawal taper uh, achieve uh, this remission rates uh, compared to uh, the, 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 the comparator. Uh, in terms of uh, other things, uh, the accumulation of steroid dose, so unsurprisingly, it's, it is lower um, in the uh, treatment group. Um, however, uh, there was no statistically significant difference in terms of the toxicity score between the two. So it could have been because of the you know, smaller sample size uh, um, uh, that, you know, to, to ascertain the difference between the two. So, uh, uh, and there's no major safety uh, as well. So I think this is a, a promising uh, a, a result for it, but um, this is underpowered studies. So, um, so I think it, it, is, it will be interesting to see whether, um, you know, a further study will be planned or, or potentially um, whether this can be discussed with the regulator for, for approval for treatment for polymyalgia rheumatica. Um, so certainly, um, you know, probably we have to watch the, the space really from that point of view, but certainly it's encouraging uh, in terms of uh, that point of view but also one other thing is also we also need a longer term follow-up i mean is the in you know, that took it sarilumab only in, um, for 52 weeks or can we extend it a little bit more i think that's all question to be asked for the future so uh, apology for the noise because i'm actually in the hotel lobby and i'm gonna uh, dash off to back to the uk in in half an hour so uh, thank you uh, and if you want to have more uh, contents of uh, uh, the Eula 2222. So just uh, browse our web website, uh, also on YouTube, uh, uh, Twitter, and also on YouTube. Uh, thank you so much, and I hope um, we to see you in the Eula 2023. Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Janet Pope. I'm reporting as a Room Now reporter at Room Now, and this is at Eular 2022. So welcome. I want to talk about ankylvasculitis and rituximab. So what's new? So there was a study poster. 0387. And what it's showing, they're looking at uh, observational study of 83 patients with ankylvasculitis. Most were um, regular GPA, some were eGPA. What were they doing? They were looking at 500 milligrams IV rituximab Q6 monthly as remission. And those patients did just as well as higher doses. Is this new? Not necessarily, but there are a lot of different uh, regimens. One gram times two Q6, a gram Q4, and this is 500 Q6, and that's actually what we do right now uh, in our clinic. Along those lines, though, what about rituximab, ankylvasculitis, and pneumocystis pneumonia? So, ULAR guidelines on ankylvasculitis were actually updated at this uh, ULAR 2022, and what they looked at was a suggestion for uh, basically uh, sulfa and TMP, so whether you call it septor or bactrim, for pneumocystis pneumonia and other prophylaxis in patients with ankylvasculitis in three categories, rituxed, 
cyclophosphamide and or high-dose glucocorticoids. Does it make sense to me? Yes. And low-dose glucocorticoids, am I going to use it? Well, maybe on rituximab, but obviously not if they're on azathioprine, which they're usually not on um, unless if it's more mild disease for maintenance. So I think we've learned a lot about ankylvasculitis and rituximab. I'm going to keep using it. Follow me at Janet Burdeau. Thanks. Hi, I'm Dr. Janet Pope. I'm a room reporter at Room Now. I'm here at hashtag ULAR2022, and my Twitter handle is at Janet Burdope. I'd like to right now talk to you about some interesting things on the meeting, and I want to really talk about ANCA associated vasculitis. So I'm going to tell you about a few things. So on poster 0836, that was looking at mepiluzumab in eGPA, so that's the allergic eosinophilic GPA with asthma. And what they we're looking at was this drug, which is an IL-5 uh, receptor blocker, and it's been used in allergic asthma, and it's been used off-label, more or less, in eGPA. But in this RCT, what is interesting and novel is that they found, as I suspected they might, that it worked in other features of vasculitis. So if the Birmingham vasculitis scale was zero, so it'd be more eosinophilia, allergic asthma, things like that, with it, with or without an ANCA. It was effective, but if it was greater than zero, so one or more, it was also effective. And they found there were less relapses. Moving on on this theme is we know that ANCA-associated vasculitis has a high mortality. So in oral presentation 0093 and a large admin database from British Columbia, they looked at um, serious infection, so hospitalization, death, prolongation of hospitalization, and ANCA-associated vasculitis with age and sex match controls out of the um, BC billing database. So very large study over many years. Three times more infections were seen, no surprise. But mean age was only in the 50s. They were almost half women, so it is a bit of a surprise that way. But they also had more comorbidities, more cardiovascular, more lung involvement of problems. Uh, so perhaps it's the disease, the drugs, and the comorbidities driving this increased infection. Finally, I want to talk to you about avocopan, and that's the steroid-sparing agent in ankylvasculitis. And in oral presentation 0180, they found that it was effective for both decreasing relapses and maintaining remission. It's an inhibitor of C5A receptor. The problem is it's super expensive and it's going to be always compared to glucocorticoids. So it's steroid sparing, but it's the cost that it will probably change the access and the ability to get it. So with that, I hope you enjoy all these videos and we'll uh, want you to follow us at Room Now.